Hello, I'm Anna Bogutska. And I'm Clarice Lockery. And this is The Next Supremes, an American Horror Story Rewatch podcast. This episode, <laughs> Chester, the magician, arrives at the freak show. I love that we couldn't even make it to 30 seconds without cracking up. <laughs> it's stage magic, bitch. Ah, yes. So today's episode, entitled Magical Thinking, good title, was written by Jennifer Salt, who's written a whole bunch of episodes. And also, I always need to remind people, a scream queen in her own right and has appeared in multiple of the early De Palmas and is directed by Michael Goy who is the longtime American Horror Story cinematographer this is his first episode that he directed for the series he's a longtime oh. collaborator of Ryan Murphy he's worked on scream queens the the normal heart um I think Glee as well almost everything Murphy's done and I did not know this until I googled it he also directed in 2011 the viral horror film Megan is Missing, which went viral, I think, last year because of TikTok. Wait, have I seen Megan is Missing? I haven't seen it yet, but I remember it going viral through people reacting to it on TikTok and being terrified by it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's the guy. This is the guy oh yeah oh and it's like an online thing yeah, yeah. I, do vaguely, I don't think i've seen it but i remember it so that film oh. is from 2011 and this episode is from 2015 wow connections connections <laughs> <laughs> i love it so it's my favorite thing to do about this podcast is like finding <laughs> what other people have done before they came to or after they came to american horror story it's a small horror world. <laughs> oh, it really, it really is. So, before we get before we get into Chester, let's set the scene the way that the episode sets the scene, and that's by establishing just how horny Bet and Dot are. Oh my god! <laughs> like a banquet full of possibilities. <laughs> Bet and Dot have decided they are done being virgins, they're done pining for Jimmy, and they're like, we are going to audition for some penis. We are going to get our fuck on <laughs> with somebody here. <laughs> but they do proper auditions as well. They're like, next, please. Oh my god. Can we talk about the scene with Toulouse? It was first off. You have a French character, yeah. and the only name you could think of is Toulouse. <laughs> Would it be better if it was like Pierre? Possibly. I feel like <laughs> more French people are called Pierre than that is Toulouse. True. 
as a French person, Clarice, what did you make of Toulouse's audition? Because uh. <laughs> <laughs> the whole thing is that he slips a little tongue and they're like, yeah. ew. He's like, but I'm French. I love it. I love it. Toulouse I'm invented so- French kissing. I'm so glad that this show thinks the greatest cultural... <laughs> The greatest cultural export of France is sticking a tongue down into someone's throat. Isn't it? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I haven't researched this. Maybe this should have been my uh, inappropriate historical reference. Oh, oh, wait. Like a new, a new sexy category, inappropriate historical reference as opposed to... Oh, insensitive. Yeah. yeah. No, because it's not insensitive. It's just like... I don't know. Did the French actually invent <laughs> using tongues? I feel like no. But I don't know that I don't know where French kissing comes from. Coming soon from the next Supremes, the inappropriate history of French kissing. <laughs> it's probably just someone being like, mm, seems like something those French do. <laughs> <laughs> probably some English people, because, you know, English people don't fuck. So, <laughs> like, mm, seems very French. <laughs> Sorry to all English people. <laughs> you're English. Well, you're more English than me. I'm, I'm very do not feel English at all. <laughs> I will not comment on anything because I do not want to be deported before I see the Light of Duty finale. <laughs> <laughs> so you have to last, what, like another hour? Yeah. And then you'll support me. I'm fine. I've watched all of Line of Duty. It's like, I'm okay. I'm good to go. <laughs> but after the twins, the twins have their their horny realization when a very special someone arrives at the freak show. Who could it be? Oh, my God. <laughs> a magician inside and outside of fiction. Yes. Yes, inside and out. Noted avid magic fan. Uh both Tony and Oscar host. <laughs> uh star of Lemony Snicket's series of unfortunate events, <laughs> which he's very good in. Yeah. Uh Neil Patrick Harris. Woo! Yes. Excellent. The only the only dude who can make magic se- stage magic seem cool by association. I love him. He is. He's great. He's a treasure. He is a treasure. And I love that he loves magic. <laughs> so there's there's a few things we need to talk about with Chester. But the first two things are that he loves magic and he loves his doll Mar- Marjorie. Yeah, his um ventriloquist dummy. Mm-hmm. Who, like, <laughs> the whole way through this episode, people keep walking into his tent being like, huh, keep talking to your ventriloquist dummy. Seems a bit unusual, but I'm going to not register that as a red flag at all. And then they just carry on. And then we get to the end of the episode, it's like, well, what the fuck? What did you think was going to happen? <laughs> 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 you 
he thinks his ventriloquist dummy is a real person. They should have asked questions about that. I mean, but in the context of... I'm not taking Chester's side, by the way. I would have run for the fucking hills because he's got two things that I find intensely creepy. Stage magic and, like, life-sized, realistic-looking ventriloquist dummies. Like, if he tells me that he, the doll, speaks to him, I'm running for the fucking hills. Goodbye, Elsa Mars's Cabinet of Curiosities. But, like, within the context of the freak show, are people a little bit like, yeah, okay, fine. Dude's a bit weird. We're all a little bit weird, I guess, so that, that, it's fine. I guess, but he's not having, like, pleasant conversations. No. Every time they walk into the tent, he's like, don't you fucking tell me what to do. <laughs> it's like, if the man is having an argument with his ventriloquist, I just, I just, mm, ask him if he's okay. I don't know. <laughs> just don't, don't just ignore it. Like it's nothing to pay attention to at all. <laughs> what did you make of his um, audition for Elsa? Well, it's good magic. <laughs> but she's like, this is not a magic show. This is a freak show. And he's like, well, hey, I've got this ventriloquist doll. <laughs> I've also and got some lizards. <laughs> I've got chameleons. I've got so many chameleons. <laughs> People really want chameleons. Um, please, may I sell my chameleons? <laughs> chameleons i will give you half the money just let me sell my chameleons this is what i don't understand this this is what you don't understand no no, no. <laughs> put the chameleons in the magic show oh yeah he's pulling chameleons out of his sleeves there's so many <laughs> where do they keep coming from chameleon 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 behind the ear <laughs> chameleon out the hat <laughs> ma'am look under your skirt there's a chameleon <laughs> They missed such a trick by not having Neil Patrick Harris, a noted, super accomplished performer, Broadway star, not do a rendition of Karma Chameleon with his chameleons. <laughs> yes. Yes. I like, want this that. is a great use of Neil Patrick Harris, but it could have been more. <laughs> <laughs> it could always it be been more. So much more. <laughs> But, uh, you know, all, all goofy jokes and comedians aside, Chester has a backstory as well. Yeah. Um, well, they don't really explain where the dummy comes from, which I would would be interesting to know. I'm okay not knowing. I'm fine. <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> it's not going to be good. <laughs> I know it's not going to be good. I just, did he... Cause he's so he's a veteran. He fought mm -hmm. in the war, and he's got a metal plate. I don't know if that's part of it or not. Um, but I guess he has PTSD. But this is the thing: was magic part of his life like pre-war, or is this just like this is his coping method for PTSD? It's like therapy's not really much of a thing in the fifties, so I'm just gonna got fucking chameleons. <laughs> <laughs> I've just got chameleons, that's all I've got. Um, I've got chameleons and I've got my doll. 
which you know I have a lot of sympathy for therapy is hard to get access to so you mm-hmm. can't find other ways um so he's got this doll and he has a wife and she has a girlfriend yes and he's like well, they're, they're like getting it on <laughs> and he's just sitting there he's sitting and watching okay but the the doll is also watching and they're a bit bothered by it but not as bothered as I feel like they should have been <laughs> <laughs> on a scale of like one to get the fuck out of my house how bothered should they have been by this doll do you think probably immediately like we're not <laughs> fucking in front of that doll <laughs> <laughs> like look the the watching us have sex king totally understandable great but you're adding in a creepy looking doll no who wants to have sex in front of that doll nobody definitely not chester's wife and her lover yeah but they were okay but they were fine with it for a, a long time <laughs> Because it's implied that this is not the first time that this has happened. But they've just, like, finally, like, all right, we've fucked in front of this doll, like, 12 times already. I can't do it anymore. (laughs) 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 Do we reach my limit? (laughs) Do we think that maybe they've had sex in front of Chester, like, 20 times already, but not the doll? And then he's finally convinced them to let him bring the doll in on the action and they're like why this is the wrong kind of this is the wrong kind of toy to bring into the situation my dear <laughs> wrong kind of toy <laughs> um i don't know because it feel like it feels like the doll this is why i would love more backstory mm-hmm. like where when did the doll enter his life because he had, he has, he always had it, mm. but it's only sort of when he developed PTSD that it sort of became an issue, and maybe he just, you know, liked ventriloquist dummies an unusual amount before. Chester has a lot of stuff going on. He's got the PTSD. He's got the metal plate. He's got the doll Marjorie, who he thinks is real. He's yeah. got the metal plate makes him gives him like a puts him in a lot of pain. I think every time he gets horny, pretty much. I think that's the implication. Oh right. Okay. And and then now he's also kind of like kind of flirting with Ben and Dot. And then they also kind of try to get it on. Which makes for a very interesting use of split screen. Probably the best one. My favorite one of this series so far. Right, it's actually pretty seamless. Like you don't really mm-hmm massively think about you know it's not like the, the, i don't think they have any of those awkward cgi shots in this but it's all just very seamlessly put together yeah and also it's i what i do like about marjorie and chester is that i mean we are kind of operating in a, in a sort of supernatural world anyway in in american horror story this is probably one of the more one of the more grounded series but magic is never outside of the realm of possibilities here jamie brewer is voicing marjorie but we only obviously hear her talk to chester so i do quite like the way that the episode plays around with points of view and perceptions and us being kind of in chester's head and hearing marjorie speak to him but also being 
looking out from the outside and being like, what the fuck is this weirdo doing with his doll and his chameleons? Yeah, and the fact that when he performs with Marjorie to Elsa, it's still Jamie Brewer's voice. Mm -hmm. So there is... So that makes it equally possible that he's just throwing his voice and happens to sound like Jamie Brewer when he does it, or that it is a second voice that's doing the talking. Hmm. And... Speaking of Elsa, we don't get that much of her in this episode, do we? She said, I don't want to be near that those chameleons. <laughs> She's like, I'm packing for Hollywood. I'm just packing all my feather boas and my outfits. But she sells, yeah, so she sells the freak show to Chester mm -hmm. because she has a look at his accounts ledger and realizes that, oh, no man could own this many chameleons. He must be rich. Um, <laughs> but I don't know because I I don't the ledger was just like chameleon says so I don't know how she figured out <laughs> she must have been like oh my god he bought so many chameleons <laughs> apparently chameleons sell really well everybody wants a chameleon yeah uh, so she she sells it to him and then he says Marjorie's gonna be the headline act and she's like uh oh Oop. but then I feel like you should have seen this coming. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, as per usual, Elsa is blinded by her own greed. Yeah. Yeah, I guess she doesn't care anymore. And, I mean, we'll come back to talk about Elsa because she she has a, she does something else at the end of this episode, but there is, alongside the reveal that Chester... Or Marjorie, like he says, bludgeoned and butchered his wife and her lover. And a dandy who makes a very swift appearance in this episode is just like, it's like catnip to him. He's captivated. <laughs> he's loving it. He's like, yum, 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 yum. Oh my God, tell me more details. <laughs> <laughs> I really love that scene yeah. when he has the private investigator tell him all the details. Yes. It's like a... <laughs> <laughs> it's like a little kid at Christmas. Yeah. <laughs> it's such a good little performance moment from Finn Whitrock, which I should say congratulations on his to your to your big HBO Max gig, Finn Whitrock. Very proud of you. Congratulations, Finn. <laughs> we one hundred percent well, ten percent made that happen. Our thirsting has been so intense <laughs> that we like <laughs> we manifested a huge headline role for you. So happy, cannot wait. Enjoy uh being the Green Lantern and having that little ring that goes poo poo. It is so great that green suits him so much. <laughs> yeah, and also just one thing I need to say about that show. Yeah. Is set in the eighties. <laughs> so he's gonna have like the hair and the jackets probably, and probably some, some like... lycra <laughs> probably some like green contact lenses mm. yes oh this is like the adult harry potter vibes that i was always <laughs> always wanted to see <laughs> adult harry potter <laughs> Yes. Listen, uh, I don't want to drag in uh, she who shall not be named into this conversation because it is very pure. 
But I remember being a pe- when I first started reading those books and the movies started coming out, I was such a little fucking pedant that I would constantly badger anyone who would listen. Not that many people listened. It was very boring. That I was so annoyed that Daniel Radcliffe did not have green contact lenses because all the books made such a big deal about the green eyes. Anyway, this is of no interest I to anyone. See, I see. Well, he's meant to have that character he's playing is meant to have red hair as well. So we'll see. He gets a little wig as well. No, 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 no. A little no. wig action. No, 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 no. Let's take some artistic license and not do that. That would. I. They probably no. won't. Thank God. Okay, no. His hair is fabulous. Let's not. Let's not play around with that. Just put a little gel in it. That's all we want. <laughs> yeah, just a little tussle. Just a little like just um. A little gel. Little little hair pomade. Pop some. Pop some little aviators. Boopity boop. Uh, a turned up collar. Boop. We've done. Perfect Green Lantern. We love it. I'm so in. I'm already subscribed. <laughs> <laughs> um, but aside from Chester's murder backstory, there's also Dell's. Well, this is the end of Dell's storyline, really, in this episode, because we see him kind of kind of bond more with Jimmy. While he's in, while he's still in police custody, yeah, because we should probably point out that Jimmy, uh, the hand thing was real. Because I know we've had like ten fake outs already. Yeah, but his hands are actually gone. It's, this is not a like, ooh, we were joking. Yeah. Um, and then yeah, it feels like very much Dell just has this moment of, I don't know, it's like the weight of consequences suddenly hit him. Like, oh my god, my actions do have consequences. Wow. Um, and I think that just causes him to have a complete emotional breakdown. And it is quite mm. sad because, you know, that is his son who um, has essentially had this surgery without consent because he said, like, one hand may be but mm-hmm. now both are gone. Um, so yeah, Del, Del just kind of unravels because I think as well, all the things that he's done previously are just kind of hitting him all at once because it's before it's been very easy to just suppress and not think about it and da 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 But now it's like, oh yeah, I, I am a murderer. There's a really poignant line in his um, conversation with Jimmy where he's like, I'm almost 50 years old and I've never f- fed my son, which... I found really touching. Yeah. But just sad as well. Like, really sad. Unfortunately, it doesn't last very long because Del makes big plans. They plan on buying the the show from Elsa, which obviously doesn't happen. And how would it happen? They don't have any money. And he gets confronted by Desiree. Who makes him admit that he murdered Mapetite? And unbeknownst to him, Elsa is hiding in the shadows, waiting for his confession. How do you feel about the way that they wrapped up that character storyline? It, I it kind of makes sense to me because mm-hmm. I I think I think he was kind of past the point of redemption. Mm-hmm. At that point, you know, the way he had betrayed his son enormously, the way that he had m- murdered somebody, attempted murder on another person, mm-hmm. and 
you know, I, I think despite all of the sadness within him, it's like, I just don't, I don't know how, I just, I don't know how he would, he comes back from that, you know? Yeah. And I think it, it, it had to be that that character ends in a, in a moment of tragedy because, and I, but I think it's good that it ended in a moment of tragedy, but also self-awareness. I think it's important they ended with him admitting what he did. Mm-hmm. Um, so there is like there is like some level of redemption for him because it's him sort of finally facing up to like he seems like the kind of guy that's just spent his entire life just kind of suppressing things like I'm not gonna think about that you know he's always been conscious of the fact that he wasn't there for his son but he just pushed it away and he focused on other things he focused on small pleasures and Mm. he focused on his you know his strong man agro masculinity like he never he never really sat down and felt the weight of his actions and I think for him at least to die in that moment of oh yes this is who I am like that's that was probably the best that he was gonna achieve you know honestly yeah I think I I completely agree with you I think it's a it's a rare moment of um it's tragic closure but it is closure for that character of there are certain things that he did confront about himself and his choices in life and that he sort of salvaged or started attempting to salvage like his relationship with his son but then you know it doesn't excuse him for what from what he did and it doesn't absolve him from what he did yeah and also this is american horror story gotta kill some people we're getting close to the end of the season and there's still people alive what's happening i don't know yeah i gotta gotta murder them all gotta murder them all (laughs) and is there anything that we haven't touched upon that happens in the episode um yes no we didn't explicitly say that so so chester bet and dot have they they have been deflowered Yes, and they also have yeah. That's a split screen situation that I alluded to before, and they also have very different experiences of sex. Yeah, but I guess varying character. Yes, very true. Because bats are like, <laughs> <laughs> that's how having an orgasm. <laughs> and then Chester but gets a headache. Them. Good for them. And he, yes, and he gets a headache. But good for all of them. Good, good on you guys. And I guess good for Marjorie as well, who is also there watching. <laughs> Marjorie. <laughs> <laughs> so shall we move on to our categories? Yes. What is your top quote of the episode? <laughs> it's the flashback of Chester, his wife, uh-huh. and his wife's lover. And they have the big argument about Marjorie. <laughs> And he goes, I'm going to the garage to work on my magic. <laughs> I I want to use that once in a real life situation. <laughs> I'm going to the garage to work on my magic. <sighs> Said no straight man ever. 
And uh, I think by, I think you you mentioned the one that's my favorite from this episode, and it's when Toulouse goes totally seriously, but I'm French. And <laughs> I love it. And then we cut, and that's it. I was like, that's okay. That's sure. Toulouse. I like Toulouse. <laughs> What about the Boma Boner for horniest moment of the episode? Um, I guess just the actual sex scene in the sh- in the episode. I, Is there a oh? I was gonna say actually the moment when the twins and Chester kind of catch sight of each other because they are they are already super horny. Oh, it's very horny. Yeah. And then they sort of see Chester and they're like, oh, a magician. And he's got chameleons. <laughs> <laughs> what about big feels for big drama? I'm going to the garage to work on my magic. <laughs> because gigantic props to Neil Patrick Harris for delivering that line with a straight face what Oscar the- Evie <laughs> Golden Globe <laughs> I mean sure I will I, yes okay <laughs> who wins in this week's Paulson v Paulson they both win they both get to bang they just had sex Good for them. Well, one of them didn't enjoy it as much. Yeah. I think <laughs> she was just enjoying it more quietly. <laughs> I don't know. It seemed like they were both into it, right? Did you catch any cinematic references in this week's episode? Like, I I was trying to think of, like, dummy things, but I, I don't know if there was anything specific. I have one, but it's it's quite obscure. And I have a fun story about how this movie came into my life. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> I'm ready. <laughs> so, uh, I, I, I'm not a big fan of big lifelike dolls or ventriloquist dummies or stage magic, right? It freaks me out. So, obviously, I like horror films that feature those things because they freak me out. And when I was studying and living in Madrid, I would go to the library quite a lot. And as sometimes libraries do... They just have like books that people give away and DVDs that people give away. They just left them on like little table. One of those DVDs that I picked up was a film called Magic. And it had on the cover a very scary looking ventriloquist dummy. And it starred Sir Anthony Hopkins. Yeah, I know this movie. <laughs> As directed by Richard Attenborough and based on a screenplay by William Goldman, who also wrote The Princess Bride. That's probably what he's be- most well known for. And also wrote the novel that this is based on. It's a 1975, it's a, ni- it's a 1978 film. The thing that attracted me, aside from the very creepy dummy, was the fact that Anthony Hopkins w- had hair and was really hot on the cover. And since then, I have insisted in convincing everyone that Anthony Hopkins was hot. Based entirely on this film. 
Okay, um, but the dummy, lo- I should point out, the dummy looks like him in the movie, right? Yeah, and that made it extra creepy because I was like, Anthony Hopkins is really hot, but this dummy is really creepy, but the dummy looks kind of like him. It's very confusing. So you say that the dummy is hot? I am not saying that. <laughs> I'm saying I was very creeped out and very confused. And I, I still have that weird ass DVD that I picked up for free in a library in Madrid because I was like, this. if I throw it out, I'm going to be haunted by the this dummy oh my god so i think i don't think it's necessarily a a, i don't i won't say that it's a deliberate allusion to that film but i think the fact that it's stage magic that it's this creepy borderline sexual relationship with a ventriloquist dummy that kind of may or may not be alive or or be sentient in some way or at least just be all in the head of the of the stage magician um, and the very distinctly like hot weirdo vibes of Neil Patrick Harris are very also hot weirdo vibes of Anthony <laughs> Hopkins and Magic. I love that. I love Thank it. Thank you. Thank you. I just wanted to tell my like found a free DVD in the library story. <laughs> That's an amazing story. I love it. And what about insensitive historical references this week? Did you pick up on any? Do you want some magic history? <laughs> You're the only person I would like some magic history from. <clears throat> so, they <laughs> they perform the sawing a woman in half trick mm-hmm. in this episode, which uh, there remains a debate about the origins of this illusion, because some people say that it was the magician Torini who first performed the version in front of Pope Pius the Seventh in 1809. <laughs> But it's actually probably thought to be made to have been made up by the French magician Jean Eugène Robert Houdin in his mem- memoirs written in 1858, um, where he described this Torini act. <laughs> and in a court case in 1922, they said that the trick can be traced back to Egypt. However, this claim has not been substantiated, and also it kind of sounds like bullshit. <laughs> Where, wherever the idea originated until the 1920s it remained just an idea for an effect rather than a practical application of a method it is generally accepted that the first public performance of a sewing illusion was achieved by British magician P.T. Selbert on the 17th of January 1921 at the Finsbury Park Empire Theatre in London although he had actually performed it in December 1920 in front of a select audience promoters and theatrical agents uh, to try to persuade them to let him do this trick. <laughs> <laughs> um, and there's several ways to do it. The one in the show is mm-hmm. where the, the assistant like is usually contortionate and just brings their, their knees up and kind of curls up into the one half of the box. Yeah. There's a second version where there's a the second box underneath the box that's kind of like the table is like a fake table and so the assistant like it looks i'm looking at the diagram it looks extremely painful (laughs) they like tuck their legs underneath so they're kind of like sitting but it looks like it's really bad for your back Mm -hmm. and and at the beginning in the beginning most uh magician assistants i think were actually men 
Oh. Uh, because the the cumbersome clothes that women in the Victorian period had to wear made it difficult for them to do these tricks because like the bustles were getting in the way. <laughs> God damn it. Um, but then it, I think in the twentieth in the early twentieth century, uh it was due to changing fashions and also to the idea of the emancipation of women. Uh, it became exciting for magicians to use women because of the idea of a, a woman in peril. Oh no, entertainment. <laughs> <laughs> and that has continued ever since. <laughs> magician Dorothy Dietrich, who established herself as a leading magician as a teenager, has been called the first woman to saw a man in half. Oh, and that was the first feminist slasher film. Good for her. Lead it, baby. <laughs> <laughs> you saw those men in half. <laughs> uh, but I love it. It's a great trick. I enjoy it very much. I love it. I love the history of, of the history of magic presented by Clarice Luckrate. That is a documentary that you were meant to write and narrate. I absolutely do it. <laughs> this is why I hate the prestige, because it's bullshit. Like, the actual oh. history of magic is way more interesting. Okay, I really like the prestige, but okay. <laughs> most people do. It's just because I like magic too much, so it doesn't <laughs> it doesn't work because Dave, David Bowie didn't just like invent cloning. <laughs> Sorry, spoilers for the prestige, but <laughs> um, that is a historical fact that David Bowie did not invent cloning. So there are actual explanations for that trick that they could have done, but whatever. <laughs> I love that you're so mad about that film from 2006. <laughs> I'm still angry about it. You can't just be like David Bowie. He did it. <laughs> well, I think that's 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 a fair assumption that that's a good answer for almost any question. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> and on that note, who do you think is the MVP of the episode? Hmm. It's David Bowie. <laughs> I I kind of want to say controversially oh. that it's Dandy. <gasps> oh, go because on. he turns up at the end of the episode mm -hmm. in his fabulous fur coat. <laughs> Very true. We have not discussed Dandy's sartorial choices. And he starts planting the seeds of something. Because mm -hmm. he starts teasing Chester about that he knows about Marjorie. She's very angry about him <laughs> hooking up with the twins. She hates it. And mm -hmm. Chester just believes this strange man in a fur coat who turned up <laughs> without really introducing himself. <laughs> and and so I feel like if we're talking about who at the very, very, very end of the episode has the upper hand, I feel mm -hmm. like it's Dandy because he's got control now. I think that's such a good case for Dandy. I was gonna say Chester, but I'm gonna I'm gonna change. You've changed my mind, and I'm gonna go with Dandy because you're right. He's he's plotting something. He's getting away with stuff in plain sight. You don't just put on a fur coat like that if you're not plotting something. <laughs> That's not a, like, go grab some milk from around the corner of the coat, you know. Yes. And we see we see the enduring influence of Dandy Mott's fur, evil fur coat in Zemo in Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Oh, my God. <laughs> yes. 
he is just European dandy. Yes. <laughs> That's why I liked that character. <laughs> I spent that whole show being like, uh, he's completely different from before, but I'm enjoying this Dan- man who just. Dandy Mod crawled so Zemo could walk. <laughs> and that's it for this episode. What can we expect from the next one? In the next episode, the freaks enforce their own brand of justice. That'd be and maybe there'll be some more magic. I don't know. We'll have to find <laughs> out. <laughs> Look out for part two of Clary's Luckery's History of Magic. Because there is a trick that they talk about in this episode that I'm saving. Oh, oh my for a god! Later appearance. Oh, I'm so excited. Okay, there's a there's a little Chekhov's gun moment, <laughs> not to spoil a future episode. But okay, okay, I'm so pumped. It's not a spoiler because obviously, like you know, Ryan Murphy knows about Chekhov's gun, so he's not gonna fuck around with magic tricks. <laughs> <laughs> so. We'll be back next Wednesday with a recap of American Horror Story Freak Show. In the meantime, send us your thoughts on Twitter. Follow us at The Next Supremes Pod. Also, I'm on at Clarice Liu. And I'm at Anna B. Demented. Abracadabra. Pew, pew, pew. I don't know where that came from. That's Why? Just... I need to be in that Zatanna movie that Emerald Fennel... Sorry, Emerald Fennel is, is writing. Yeah, she's, you know, Z- Zatanna? Um, she's a DC comic character, and her thing is that she both does magic magic and also stage magic. That's her whole vibe, and she has like a little magician hat. (laughs) And a leotard. Magic is making a big comeback, is that what you're saying? It's gonna be all magic from now on. Maybe the... Maybe that Channing Tatum Gambit movie will finally get made. Oh, yeah. Remember that? He just throws cards at people, right? Yeah. But he also does magic because the cards go poof. Poof. Because they're magic cards. Yeah. (laughs) A little hat off and a magic off. And then Scarlet Witch can learn actual stage magic and then they can all team up. (laughs) And I swear that I don't.